Hey there, welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, James Lee. And Gabby Corbett. And uh, today oh. is going to be a little different kind of episode. You'll see uh, little baby Georgia. You might see a cat, Obi, every now and then. But this is ministry, and so we're going to just run with it. Uh, we have a very amazing guest today with us, uh, Dr. Daryl W. Stevens. Uh, with over 16 years dedicated to nonprofits and higher education, uh, Daryl stands as a beacon for anti-racism, gender equity, and social justice. Not just an expert in grant writing and project development, he's also deeply rooted in the United Methodist Church. Uh, he's currently chairing the Order of Deacons and serving on the Board of Ordained Ministry in the Eastern Pennsylvania Annual Conference. Uh, his academic journey has seen him instructing at renowned institutions like Candler, Garrett, uh, Wesley, and Princeton Theological Seminaries. Currently, he serves as the director of United Methodist Studies at Lancaster Theological Seminary, and through it all, he remains a fervent advocate for positive change. Daryl, we're so glad that you're here. Well, thank you, James. Thank you, Gabby. It's an honor to be with you today. We're so glad to have you with us. I know Georgia doesn't sound like she's really glad to have you with us, but it is good to see you. Uh, so those of you who don't know, Daryl was also my professor uh, when I was at Princeton. So it is good to see you back in this context. So for those of you, those of us who may not know, can you give us an overview of the United Methodist Diaconate and its place in the Methodist history and just an overview of kind of what it is and how it exists in our system? Well, thank you, Gabby. Uh, I'd be glad to provide an overview of the Diaconate and Methodism. Let me begin with a description and definition. Diaconia is a form of Christian-motivated social service. It was originally modeled on Jesus's insistence on serving his own disciples in Luke chapter 22. Deacons are also mentioned in the book of Acts and were active in the early church. Today, diaconia is focused not only on serving others, but also advocating for others, empowering them, and joining them in solidarity to build participatory community. Diaconia is a call to all Christians to alleviate suffering and promote justice, peace, and human dignity. One colleague of mine said simply, Diaconia is gospel action. The diaconate is an essential expression of mission arising from baptism. Thus, we speak both of the priesthood of all believers as well as the diaconate of all believers. In addition, United Methodism recognizes certain persons called to full-time diaconal ministry, both lay and ordained. United Methodist Diaconia is expressed through two orders, or covenant communities. The Order of Deaconess and Home Missioner is for laity, and the Order of Deacons is for clergy. Lay women called to full-time ministry can be consecrated and commissioned as deaconesses. Lay men can be consecrated and commissioned as home missioners. In 1996, the United Methodist Church established a permanent order of deacons, open to all genders. 
ordained deacons are called to a lifetime ministry through word, service, compassion, and justice. The role of a deacon is sometimes described as bridging the church and the world. In Methodism, the deaconess is the oldest form of diaconate. The Order of Deaconess was established in 1888. At that time, deaconesses were trained and commissioned for ministry in poverty-stricken neighborhoods in Chicago and other cities. They took a vow of celibacy and wore a distinctive uniform. Thus, some people referred to them as Protestant nuns. They also were required to, uh, to leave the diaconate once they were married. Today, deaconesses are allowed to be married as well as single. The diaconate has a unique role within the broader Methodist ministry, and each person called to the diaconate has a unique vocation. Deacons serve as teachers, chaplains, social workers, counselors, musicians, lawyers, leaders of nonprofits, and many other helping professions. Thus, when the Order of Deacons gathers to share about our ministries, we discover that every person's ministry is different. Many deacons are employed beyond the local church, many are employed by congregations, and most work in both secular and church contexts. So that's a brief overview. Awesome. Thank you, Daryl. And I remember uh, several years ago when we first had you on the podcast, uh, we were with Paul Barnett. Wow. And at the time, Paul and I, I think we were both discerning our call to ministry, whether it was the Order of Elders or the Order of Deacons. And I remember our conversations being especially helpful and intriguing at the time. Uh, Protestant nuns, I've never heard that one. That's that's a new <laughs> one for uh, our deaconesses. Um, but yeah, the Order of Deacons as the bridge between the church and the world is such an interesting idea. Um, and you know, Daryl, you and I had conversations uh, briefly uh, previously about uh, bivocational ministry. You know, the concept of bivocational ministry is just increasing in church circles. And from your perspective, uh, how do you see the diaconate fitting into or maybe even shaping or reshaping the bivocational ministry model? <laughs> well, the diaconate is bivocational or even multivocational almost by its nature. Um, when we think of a bridge between the church and the world, we often think of um, an image that comes from Christendom, that is, when Christianity is the given religion within a certain state or country. Uh, and the church is well-defined. We know where the church is. We, we see the building. We can enter it. We, we, we know when we're in the church. And then we know when we leave the church and we're in the world. And those are off, the church and world are often contrasted, uh, one being sacred, one being profane. Um, now, um, we're not so much in Christendom anymore, which means the boundaries between church and world are a lot messier. Um, so the, the, the image of a bridge is a helpful beginning, but it doesn't really... Um, encapsulate what is actually going on 
with most people's lives and the lives of, of deacons today, where um, the the mission field is right outside our front door. Um, we're no longer within Christendom. And so the idea of working within the church and outside the church, um, that um, kind of creates a false um, distinction of, that we know where church is. When church um, a- exits the building, when, when church begins to um, thrive in places um, where we wouldn't expect church to be, we're, we're at a post-Christendom um, model. And deacons have been doing that all the time. Um, deacons work in helping professions. They might be nurses or social workers or teachers. And they uh, many deacons have more than one job. They're employed in more than one way. And what they do is they model for the laity what it means to live out one's vocation where you are um, in the world, in the church, both. Um, we're not one person in the church and another person the other six days of the week. Uh, we're the same person with the same vocation every day, uh, living that out and wherever we find ourselves. So really, we model the ministry of all Christians as deacons and deaconesses and home missionaries and um, how that can reshape the church is by uh, helping people realize that they can be in ministry, they can be, they can live out their baptism um, wherever they work. They don't have to be ordained or licensed or authorized in some way. Um, we, we are authorized through our baptism to be in ministry to all the world. And we repeat that during our Holy Communion service in which the Spirit empowers us to do that again and again and again. Uh, so bivocationality in this post-Christendom world is really a matter of equipping all of the baptized um, to live out their ministries. And, uh, and what that means is bivocationality in this model is not simply a pastor who might have two jobs. Bivocationality describes an entire congregation in which each member of the congregation lives out their baptism in in the world, in the church. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I I see, and I'm even seeing it now sort of in the post-pandemic world where the line between elder or the pastor that is sees their ministry solely in the traditional parish context and uh, a deacon who uh, is really the bridge between the church and the world and oftentimes is found working in the market or in in uh, amongst perhaps even non-christians i'm seeing a lot of that line starting to blur a bit right pastors who are elders doing extension ministry for instance or having more than one job and deacons i see deacons who are justice oriented outward minded who are then now serving in uh even full-time roles in local churches so what what is your opinion on sort of that blurring of the lines so to speak between elders and deacons or is that is that a fallacy is that still separate orders 
No, I, I think the, this blurring is good for the church. I think mm. it's good for our faith. It's good for the world. Um, the old model of a a priest that is set apart and um, confined to a parish ministry in which um, yeah, the, the priest doesn't get his, usually in the past, in our history, it's a male. Usually, get his, his yeah. hands dirty in the world. Um, mm. That's no longer holds for us today. That that's no yeah. longer a helpful model post Christendom. And so, when um, bivocational pastors uh, take jobs outside of the church, that's not simply a way to make ends meet financially. That's also a missional opportunity to be in the world, to connect with people where they are, um, to to meet non-Christians, um, to build relationships and build community. And I think the more that um, elders can do that, the more that deacons can do that, the more that all of our laity can can do that, it's, it's better. Uh, so I, I think that's helpful. I, I do think that there is a distinct identity that a deacon has and a distinct identity that an elder has and also distinct identities between clergy and laity, uh, even as we bridge and blur those, those boundaries a bit. Uh, for me, it was always clear to me that my ministry is teaching. And when I went before the Board of Ordained Ministry, the question was always, well, you're getting a Master of Divinity, you, you've done all the requirements, are you sure you don't want to be ordained as an elder? Because I, I was in the process um, in 1998, right after the, the permanent order of deacons was established. So nobody was used to deacons yet. Um, deacons used to be a transitional role between laity and an elder. That is, one would first be ordained a deacon and then subsequently be ordained an elder. Yeah, it was sort of like a provisional elder. That's, that's right. Uh, that's exactly quality, right. Yeah. So this provisional or um, transitional deacon was the only kind of deacon that they um, were used to. So when I came through, the question was always, you know, why would you settle for being a deacon? I had, uh, it was always clear to me. A deacon is called to a specialized ministry. Mm. An elder is called to a generalized ministry. An oh, elder is called yeah. to a pastoral ministry which, which covers a whole range of skills and expectations. And you're leading a community of faith. A deacon is called to a specialized ministry. My ministry is teaching. I was pretty clear you know, that's what I'm called to. Other people are equally clear that their ministry is to chaplaincy or their ministry is to lead not-for-profits. Um, that requires very specialized skills and um, and is ordainable, and it can be a lifetime ministry. Um, so to me, that's the identity piece, not only the focus on justice but also, and service, but also the identity of having a, a very specialized vocation. I saw some movements uh, a little while ago, but do you believe that it would be appropriate to one day 
uh, for deacons to have sacramental authority. Well, in fact, we already have sacramental authority. So, um, right a, as sure. clergy, uh, we have deacons have a role in the sacrament, and that role is to work side by side with elders, uh, where the elder presides and the deacon um, assists, and but for communion and for baptism, and the deacon represents all of the laity next to the priest okay. and that priestly mm. role. Uh, the, the idea of assisting then exemplifies the service aspect of what a deacon is about. The deacon literally at the communion table waits on table. The, the mm. deacon is the waiter, the waitress. Um, now, in some instances where an elder is not available, um, say if I'm in a hospital setting and I'm I'm with a church member or someone else, uh, we need to celebrate communion or someone needs to be baptized. I'm authorized to do that. I've been trained okay. in the sacraments. Um, I've been given special authorization by our bishop to preside over the sacraments. But that authorization is understood to be as as necessary. That is, if there's an elder available, my natural role would be to assist the elder in those sacraments. So I know some of the work that you do, uh, I want to say in your spare time when you're not teaching, um, but I also know that it is a, a large passion of yours, um, particularly around the time that you spent with Cosro, um, and the justice work that you're doing. Sometimes I think as elders, as we've sort of skirted around in the conversation, um, we elders tend to think that we're somehow better than in a different position than know more about than, uh, other people in different orders. Um, do you ever find yourself particularly as a deacon wanting to hold the church accountable um, and that because of the nature of being that bridge between the church and the world, that there's a different level of accountability and a different level of justice that you can see when you spend so much time both on the outside and on the inside. And what does that sort of look like for you? How do we sort of embrace that as a church community? Um, and how can we as elders and district superintendents and bishops and people in leadership roles hear what you have to say, what anybody has to say in holding us accountable for making sure that, I don't know, our heads don't get too big and that we are actually looking at the kingdom of God as though it were the kingdom of God. Wow. Accountability. Uh, so I'll, I'll answer that in a, a few different ways because there are many ways that could be interpreted. So on the most basic level, an order that is the covenant community is a, a community of mutual accountability and encouragement. So the order of deacons gathers together um, our deacons in the Eastern Pennsylvania Annual Conference. We pray with each other. We worship together. We hold each other in prayer, uh, and we learn about each other's ministries. We hold each other accountable, and we encourage each other. 
uh, ministry is difficult, uh, so we, we have to, to hold each other up. Uh, and as I said, we're all deacons, we're all doing different ministries, so um, we're not in competition with each other. Um, that is, um, Gabby, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> so when deacons gather, you know, I hear about someone else who's a social worker, and I can just, I can um, hear about their ministry and be so joyful and, and uphold them. They're never going to be vying for my job, not going to be vying for their job. I'm not going to be the one appointing them anywhere. Um, so deacons um, are appointed by the bishop for our ministry. Um, and in fact, um, the deaconess and home missioners are also appointed by the bishop. They are assigned um, to ministries. But um, we, the diaconate is not itinerant in the same way that elders are itinerant. Um, that is, we have to find our own jobs, and then we work with the bishop to, um, to make sure that's an appropriate appointment for ministry. When I've been in groups where elders are, are the majority, um, I, I get the sense that elders are more in competition with each other. Um, an elder might say, oh, that, that, that pulpit might be my pulpit one day, or that person's looking here for my pulpit, or which of us is going to be district superintendent? I have to be careful what I tell sure. them. Um, wow. Because they're no longer going to be my colleague. They're going to be my boss in a certain sense. Um, so the order of elders is also a covenant community. But I think when the order of elders gets together, they, they might not be sure what, what they're to do together. Um, because they're used to just being clergy, and they, they don't know what an order is supposed to do for them. Um, wow. For, for deacons, it's really clear because we're a minority. Um, we we right, know what right. we need together. Um, that's often the case with majority-minority um, dynamics is the majority um, does not know what to do with themselves. Um, apart from just being the norm. Um, so that's one aspect of accountability. Another aspect of accountability, Gabby, that I think you were alluding to is more a prophetic edge to our work. Uh, deacons are uh, specifically called to ministries of justice, justice, compassion, word, and service. Uh, justice means that we have to call out things that are right, that are unjust. So my work with the General Commission on the Status and Role of Women, I was the Assistant General Secretary for Sexual Ethics and Advocacy. Uh, those are code words in the United Methodist Church for clergy sexual misconduct and prevention. Um, what that means is that I worked with individuals who um, reported being a victim of clergy abuse. Um, we worked on policies and procedures, education, training, response team ministries. Uh, I wrote many articles, uh, co-edited a book on professional sexual ethics. All is an effort to address this very difficult problem um, that is not just a Roman Catholic problem. It is a problem anywhere anyone has power 
there's potential for abuse. And when people have power in the church, there's potential for abuse in God's name. So that's part of how I've lived out of justice ministry. And um, the bridging the church and the world does give deacons a perspective that can be grounded in the lived realities of people in the world, which means we're going to be exposed to injustices and aware of injustices, perhaps in a way that people who are more secluded or protected or privileged might not be as aware or as exposed to. So the accountability then is a prophetic call to the institution, to the church, to say, the poor are always with us, and we need to be in solidarity with the poor um, in whatever way, not just um, economic poverty, but in any kind of oppressed oppression or, or type of poverty. Uh, it is also true that uh, profit is not heard in your hometown. So um, sometimes that, that is difficult speaking truth to power within the church. All right. So given the rapidly changing landscape of the church and society, how do you see the role of the diaconate yeah. evolving? How can it remain relevant and responsive to contemporary needs? All right. So we did brush on this a little bit when you were asking about church and world, but I wanted to say that um, as far as relevancy and responsiveness, as long as there is suffering, as long as there is a need for human community, as long as discipleship involves our whole selves and our whole lives, the diaconate will be relevant to the church and to its participation in God's mission. So I would turn the question around, how do you see the church evolving? And how can it remain relevant and responsive to contemporary needs? Then my answer is the diaconate of all believers. Yes. Uh, Amen. Oh, good. The church is not the building. <laughs> <laughs> Gabby, I do, does that mean we all have to become deacons now? Is that is that well, yeah. what I'm hearing? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> draining in my elders' orders. Well, yeah, that right. was the value, actually, of the transitional deacon being ordained a deacon first, yeah. is that um, the the elder is always a deacon. You don't you don't rescind your deacon's orders when you become an elder. But the transitional deacon exemplified the fact that. As the minister of all Christians, you're part of the diaconate. How you represent, you're called out to represent the diaconate, and that's always a part of who you are, even when you go on to be ordained as an elder. So I think we we lost a little bit of symbolism there when we lost the transitional deacon. But if you recall your baptism, remember your baptism. You are still child of God, participating in the ministry of all Christians. That means even as in the priestly role, you participate in the diaconate of all believers, just as all of us do. Yeah. And, you know, uh, earlier this summer, I went on a trip with some folks to the Tanzania Annual Conference. 
and we got to participate in their ordination service. And they still have the pre-96 uh, method of ordaining deacons and then mm-hmm. deacons then becoming elders. And so it was fascinating to see how they did that. So uh, deacons, you know, you have the stole that goes across. So they would have a, a stole that they would tie at the hip. And then mm-hmm. when the deacon became an elder, they they untied it and then they turned the stole around to go down around the neck and I thought that was fascinating that was very interesting to see the order yes. of deacons and elders they still have that method so so Gabby yeah. I don't want you to um, to lose your elder identity but I don't want you to forget your deacon identity either there it is I love that that's I, that's great it's also really helpful um, to think about so I sit on decom. James sits on boom. I don't know if that's information that he wants out there, but (laughs) I think one of the tasks that we're always held to as well is helping people discern the difference, like discern their call, right? And are you called to the the diaconate? Are you called to deacon's orders? Are you called to elder's orders? And I think just like you experienced, I think that mentality is still sort of held over. Like, well, if you've gotten your master's of divinity, you've done all these other things. Why don't you just want to be ordained as an elder, and I think that the more conversation that we have, and the, the broader yeah. we can look at the depth of our call and all of the different facets of the way that we are called to be the priesthood of all believers, what all of us have been called to do, vocation in the world. Um, I think that'll help us do our work better too, so that we are helping people really live out what God has uniquely and specifically called them to. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. I will say during clergy session uh, of annual conference, I always get a little, well, or when there are gatherings of elders, I'm always like, huh, I wonder what the deacons are doing. <laughs> there's, I also, I and somehow there's a we know the deacons jealous. are having well, a lot more fun than we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I won't deny it. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Daryl, I'm so glad that uh, you came on the podcast and kind of got us thinking again uh, about a lot of these things. Uh, For those who may be listening and feeling a call to the diaconate and possibly considering a bivocational path, uh, what advice would you give them? Are there any resources or practices that you'd recommend to help them discern and navigate their journey? Absolutely. The the Christian is minister as a a book that your pastor will give you if you say, you know, I think God might be calling me to something. And that will um, lay out some of the various ministries, both lay and ordained. The uh, General Board of Fire Education and Ministry has resources on ordained deacons. United Women in Faith um, manages the Office of Deaconess and Home Missioner and has um, uh, discernment events um, and resources on the lay diaconate. So I encourage folks um, to, to visit those resources within the United Methodist Church. On my website, I have resources on an ecumenical project I'm doing on diaconal studies. So I've been working with nearly two dozen professionals, um, professors and practitioners from around the world 
to put together a book on diagonal studies for North America. So these are Lutherans, um, Anglicans, and United Church traditions, as well as Methodists, who are, are working on that. So on my website, I have some resources on that. All right. Well, we are starting to run out of time here, so we'll bring it to a close. Uh, uh, Daryl, thank you so much for coming to the podcast and talking with us. We do have one last question that we ask all of our guests, and uh, I'll ask this time. Uh, here's the question. So we are the Uncovered Dish podcast because we are Methodists and we love covered dish dinners. It's just part of our Methodist DNA. And so here's the question. If you could have one dish for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no variations... What would that one dish be? Oh, James, that's such a ridiculous question to have the same food for the rest of my life. But um, you know, when I when I travel, I, I you know, going to conferences or workshops or, th or things, um, I look for my comfort food, and that would be a, a good stir fry because I get fresh vegetables, I could eat, and it's, it's uh, a, a nice tasty sauce and rice. It just sustains me, and I, I think I could probably eat that every day. Stir fry, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> that sounds That's it. <laughs> well, thank you again, uh, Daryl, for coming on the podcast. For those of you who like to uh, go to his website, learn more about uh, his writings, and so on and so forth. You can find him on his website at darrylwstevens.com. That's D-A-R-R-Y-L-W-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S.com. Dr. Daryl Stevens, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you, Lee. James. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Take care, and thank you, Georgia and uh, Obi. <laughs> See you all soon. <laughs>